On this week's episode of Circles Off, we're joined by a guest. He used to be a trader for a recreational sports book, and now he is a full-time better. He's going to take us inside the trading room. He once called me a moron as well. I'll ask him about that and a lot more. This week's Circles Off starts now. Come on, let's go! Welcome to Circles Off, episode number 121, right here, a part of the Hammer Betting Network. I am Rob Pizzola, joined by Johnny from Betstamp. Close. We got an amazing guest for this week. Should be a great episode, especially if you're a fan and found out about the show from, you know, the Twitterverse. Yep. Definitely going to be an interesting one. Number 21 here. For me, it's easy. So we got Coach Prime. Coach Prime. Deion is- Sanders, you got to let that in. He's a hot topic right now. Yes. Who else you got for 21? Okay, so because I had him in fantasy football for so much of my youth, LaDainian Tomlinson. Okay. LT. Also Ezekiel Elliott. Yeah, well, uh, no, no, not good anymore, but still a stud in back in the day. I'm gonna look up a Leafs player, James oh, Van. B- Boris Salming, Boris Salming worked for 21. Okay, I think this guy was 21, and Zach's gonna go nuts if he knows this guy. But let me just confirm his number. Yup, 21. This was in the heart of the Leafs dog days when we were absolute trash. John Pohl. John Pohl. <laughs> Johnny I, I Pohl. I saw John Pohl score a goal. Do you in, remember that in real life? I was at a game in Columbus. Leafs Blue Jackets. I believe Mike Pekka scored two goals and John Pohl scored one for the Leafs. Electric. Also from my youth, one of my favorite players ever was not a Leaf, but Peter Forsberg, Forsberg was a 21. And why he was one of my favorite players ever. Was it because of the Forsberg? No. Well, that was great, but it wasn't because of that. When I was in university, the NHL was on strike. There was a, there was a strike year. Okay, this is when when the Penguins ended up winning the draft lottery oh, and they got Crosby. five or six. So five. I would be in the computer lab doing computer science and I was betting already back then. I was betting the Swedish Illitzerian League. And a lot <laughs> of the NHL players went back to their home countries to play. And I bet on Peter Forsberg's team, Moto, Moto yeah. all the time. And they always came through. And listen, I definitely did not have an edge, right? Like thinking back... Like, it's so dumb. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to bet Moto. They have Forsberg or whatever. I, was, all I can remember the teams like Frolunda, whatever, like all the Swedish teams. But I won so much money betting on Moto and Peter Forsberg. What was the league called? The Swedish? Swedish Illitzarian. Is that short for Swedish? It's I just know it's the Swedish Elite League. Yeah, it's, it's the yeah. Illitzarian. It's the Elite League. Is that a short form? Is yeah. elite short for elite? elite is short, I guess. I, I, There's I, no way. Or maybe like Illitzarian is just the way to say elite in Swedish. You know what? Speaking of elite. All right. No, you didn't get it? For the, you, the you queue got, up. So here's the thing. There's, I, I queued that up, bro. It was actually a great queue up. Here's the thing. I had a couple other 21s in my head that are absolutely pure elite. So I thought you were teeing me up. Tim Duncan was 21. <laughs> Timmy Duncan, by the way, when I was growing up playing basketball, more about me, by the way, let's make this entire show about me. Tim Duncan, I tried to hit jumpers like he did for so long. Backboard, the backboard monster. Like that guy, just the little kiss off the glass or whatever. But when you're doing that on like your high school basketball gym, the backboards suck and they just hit the backboard so hard. It's impossible. Tim Duncan, Roger Clemens, Sammy Sosa, all 21s. They grew up different era. They were elite, but also elite pinnacle sportsbook. I appreciate you teeing me up on that. Trying to queue them up. They're the world's sharpest sportsbook available to betters in Ontario. Over the course of this next episode, you are going to find out why pinnacle is an extremely valuable sportsbook to you. 
Listen to the entire thing. But I promise at the end of the day, there's no BS with Pinnacle. Good limits. They treat everyone like a like a, the same type of better. This is why they've been in business for 25 years. Bet smart, bet Pinnacle. If you're going to sign up in Ontario, use code HAMMER to do so, as it does help support us here on Circles Off. You must be 19 plus. And as always, please play responsibly. Sorry, one other thing on Pinnacle, by the way. A lot of comments and stuff coming through about people having trouble like directly signing up and getting the funds in. Wanted to also offer, if you are having trouble with that, reach out to us directly and we'll see if we can help you with the troubleshooting or send anything direct. And want to get everybody playing on Pinnacle. We, we, we value the feedback. And there's people who've been reached out to us. Can we get the limits increased on deposit at Pinnacle? Well, they just have done that as well. So a lot of the feedback we get, we relate directly to their team. They work on it. So 100% reach out to us. Circles off at the hammer.bet. We read all those. You can reach us on Twitter as well via DMs. It's circles off HQ and we will get to those. We value the feedback. Now to our guest. We're now joined by our guest this week here on Circles Off. He goes by Shipper. You can follow him on Twitter at ShipTheJustice. He's a former sportsbook trader, now turned full-time better. He also once called me a moron, which I'm going to ask him about a little bit later on. Shipper, thanks for joining us here on Circles Off. What's up, fellas? It's, uh, it's nice to see you in person. Well, uh, I suppose over a video link. I do have one thing I needed to share, which is in, uh, in honor of number 21, it's uh, a Dion Sanders primetime uh, T-shirt, uh, which is big here in Colorado. It's been the big news over the last uh, last month or so. Yeah, I was, ladies and gentlemen, a, a true fan of the show. Yes, I, I was a huge Dion fan growing up because I was a Dallas Cowboys fan. Um, I probably still have some old Dion Sanders swag as well. That's a good shirt too. That's that is shirt. a sick shirt, Coach Prime, man, Coach Prime. All right, that's it. I'm uh, I'm hit. I'm hitting out for the USC game uh, this this weekend, which should be should be fun. It, it would have been. I think the I think Boulder, Colorado, would have blown up if they had of uh, beaten Oregon last week. And this was uh, Williams versus Shador undefeated, but uh, alas, it should be still fun anyway. I don't know if it's going to be fun if you're a Colorado fan, but we'll, <laughs> we'll see. It'll be fun to drink and go to the game, I'm sure. All right, so Shipper, uh, we wanted to basically get into your whole backstory. We know you're not originally from the United States, came on over. Wanted to just ask you, like, you know, what what's your story? What are you all about? Uh, I have a background in the, in the uh, bookmaking industry from uh, sort of once I finished college. I... Uh, I started at the New Zealand TAB, uh, which is kind of like a, a monopoly book in New Zealand, similar, I suppose similar to ProLine uh, from what you guys have in uh, in Canada, although just a little bit more, probably a little bit more uh, free and modern from when it first went up. You could bet singles. There weren't any, any rules like that. I started out my bookmaking career there, um, which was really fun. Uh, the tech was really, really bad. Uh, we had to buy hand and put uh, all live prices uh, on the site so for tennis for example if someone hit a winner you would uh you know literally like hand type in 1.36 or move like from say minus 250 to minus uh, 275 on one side and then adjust the other side uh and you would you would do that for the set prices as well uh which was which was a really good grounding i mean you got to learn a bunch about uh, how the how other books models worked and other books and play modeling worked uh, and then after that, I kind of got, um, I moved over to Australia and, uh, started working for points bet in Australia. Uh, and then kind of pretty quickly, maybe two months in or so, uh, they were really expanding in New Jersey. 
Uh, and without a ton of uh, experienced traders over there, they, uh, they sent me over to try and uh, run the run the show a little bit at uh, age 25, um, which was a, which was a fun experience being out in kind of the wild west of uh, or wild east, I suppose, of it being in New Jersey, but um, the wild west of of uh, sports betting when it was first coming online uh, in America. So that was a that was a fun challenge. Uh, couldn't get a visa right away, uh, so originally went back to Australia for a couple of years, and then uh, and then over and have been in Colorado from uh, about mid 2021, uh, and then finished up with PointsBet uh, right at the start of this year. Been full time betting since then. So here on Circles Off, we've had um, bookmakers on in the past, but they've tend to gear towards the the sharp bookmaking industry, whether that was Matthew Trenhale from Pinnacle uh, or Chris Bennett from Circa. I think this is actually the first time that we've had someone who skews more towards the recreational bookmaking side of things. Um, There's obviously going to be some listeners out there who are very familiar with how bookmaking works, how trading works in specific. But just for those that don't, that are watching this, what are the main differences between operating a trading team for a sharp sports book versus operating for a recreational sports book? Well, I think firstly, you need to describe the environment that, that the two operate in and, the, and especially the tax environments the two operate in. Uh, so while this often is a moral judgment um, and a, and a you know, business judgment uh, because of the ease of bookmaking, it is also sometimes an, a necessary one within the tax environments uh, that are applied. The, um, the softer sports book, their goal is to take purely soft action. They want to take wages from players who are, are going to lose in the long run. Uh, and th- this goes for uh, all kind of softer books in the industry. It, once, you, once they get whiff of you being a winning better, uh, then they're trying to uh, take, that out of their, um, take that out of their book so that they are not losing money to, to those people in the ecosystem um, and, and trying to maximize their profits just by, uh, by having soft, uh, soft clients. In your experience um, working with with the softer uh, recreational sportsbook model, are the traders typically incentivized based off of like hold percentage, how much the company is earning? Uh, I'm just curious, and and if you can speak to that. Um, typically speaking, you know, I've talked to bookmakers in the past where just like salary only type of thing. Is there an extra incentivization uh, to hold as much as possible, basically? No, no, not necessarily. I think people are just trying to do what is best for the company and what and what's kind of laid out by the directives. I suppose um, once you get up to the higher levels of trading, then then uh, often the trading managers may may potentially have bonuses around whole percentage, but it's more around um, the entire amount, entirety amount of of money that they can hold. Um, you know, you often see the argument out there that if they just held a little less, they could take away more of a of a slice of the pie and they'll make make way more money. If that was, you know, these these are billion dollar companies. They they are not doing things in in a non profit maximizing sense. They are certainly uh, making optimal decisions in terms of trying to uh, operate within their own environments and, and make the most amount of money possible. So you just limited guys out of the goodness of your own heart. No, not even not <laughs> I, even a commission. Uh, I don't just kidding. It's, it's no, it's 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 a good point. Um, the like morality of doing it. I don't think you would find anyone who works within the uh, regulated industry, including the including the CEOs of these places, really, that they truly believe that this is like how the world should work. Um, 
but obviously the goal is to maximize the profits for your shareholders right that's that's the goal of any business uh and so working within those constraints it uh it's just the optimal way to go about things so i got a i got a couple follow-ups here number one we're going to start late you mentioned moving the odds and it was decimal odds you know like 1.83 how was that shift over like do you does your mind still operate in decimal odds or are no, you full no, American, uh, American odds now? I'm fine, fine speaking both languages. I can speak some, uh, I can speak English, uh, the English, the, the Queen's English too, and do uh, four to seven and, and five to 11 and everything like that. Wow, as you well. can do the fractional wow. as well. That's a skill. See, so a man who could speak three languages. Uh, what do you think is the best odd set? Like American, decimal, or oh, fractional? Def- Des- decimal by far. It's not what? even close. Isn't it? You got, I mean, the Canadian, you Canadians grew up with mostly decimal. Is that right? Or. So anyone who bet on just just Proline did decimal, but if you had any other books, it was American. So, I mean, I I personally grew up American odds only. I I understand decimal, but it's not good to compare prices. It's quite, it's only good for the stuff that you're going to lose on. For example, parlays. (laughs) Great for the books. It's so easy. It's It's just like a simple multiplication. Um, Yeah, I, I, I do think that that's right. And, that's why some people believe that Americans may potentially care more about price because of the move from say minus 155 to minus 160 mm-hmm. is you know it's a two cent decimal move, but it's a five cent move in the in American odd sense. So so that that is kind of like a theory as to why and, and also then the straddle as well, you know, like a 20 cent straddle between minus 150 and, and plus 130 uh, is you, you wouldn't see that in uh, and decimal odds because it's taking less juice than what a, a minus one ten to a minus one ten is. Of course, of course. Okay, so that that's the first question. Second, more just a statement for us here. We have had someone else on the podcast who was a trader at a rec book. Now, I'm not going to say who it was, but for everyone listening, go back through all the episodes. There's someone that is. It might have not been talked about publicly in the episode, but it's there. I'll just leave that tidbit out. I'm 100 percent sure we have one. Um, so Zach and Rob don't even know who it is. That's impressive. Don't, don't say it. Everybody look through the episode, comment, and, uh, you know, I don't even know if we'll be able to confirm it, but comment, comment below. So, Shipper, you hear oftentimes, you, you just mention it yourself. You say a lot of times people think, well, if you could just hold a little less and accept, accept sharp action, you can make way more money. And there's a lot of people in the space who agree with this, whatever you want to call it, a theory potentially, right? So to back it up for the listeners, what... A lot of people have referred to this analogy as like Spanky, for example, is, you know, you have a leaky bucket, but instead of actually patching up that hole, you just keep filtering out the water and like throwing it up, throwing it out, throwing it out so that you eventually throw out all the people and still the leak is not actually fixed, right? Most people in the regulated space right now are not operating the sharp model like the sponsor of the show, friend of the show, Pinnacle Sportsbook, who actually will not kick anybody out. Do you actually think, Shipper, that kicking somebody out is the most profitable term for the sports book? Do you, do you think they're doing it suboptimally right now? Like, what are your thoughts on that, given you're a person who actually ran that? Yeah, I think it, I think it, is, the, I think it is the most optimal, almost undeniably. Um, because, and the key there is that you get the information for free most of the time by, by looking at the screen. Yeah, you don't get the perfect information. You don't have who placed the wager. Let's just say that somebody sharp places a wager at Circus Sports. They move the price. Um, they, they like hit the screen, they move the price, right? Uh, you see that that price has moved and you can make the assumption typically that Circa has made a correct move. You can follow that and you don't have to get hit. You don't need to pay for that information. So do you think that if you were to actually limit 
you would be able to have a sharper line, accept bigger bets, and then potentially beat people who are quote unquote sharp. So for example, people who might be wanting to bet 50 K on MLB or an NHL side, do you think that having the ability to book that and then having the best profiling, not necessarily for kicking people out, but just for actually profiling and having the sharpest number, can you then earn off the, not only the rec betters, but the pseudo sharp betters as well? I just don't think that that pseudo sharp, uh, that that area is anywhere near as big as what uh, people like Captain Jack and, and some others like to talk about. I, I just uh, don't believe that there are people, for example, that might beat softer markets and then might donk it off into the into the uh, sort of more major markets. But you can just configure your limits that way so that they can't really wager that much on the prop markets, and then they can bet a whole bunch on the on the really on the stuff that you're you're pretty confident about. I want to follow up on that the size of the the semi sharp market there because I tend to agree with you in terms of I think people um, overvalue like how much of the pie that is right now, but I think personally I'm seeing like a shift a dynamic shift where. I think that that section of the pie is becoming larger and larger and larger. And I personally think that it's going to continue to grow as betters become a little bit more educated over the next couple of years. Curious whether or not you actually believe that as well, because I know that there's people that are on like completely opposite ends of this spectrum. There's guys that think that, well, in a sports betting has been this way forever. This is going to continue to be this way forever. I'm of the opinion that I think a lot of people have entered this space in recent years sadly lost their shirt in some capacity thinking that oh, i have no sports i can bet on sports and that there's like this going to be this yearning for education in the space as as time goes on and I, I just am interested in your take on that i mostly disagree i'm i'm interested to i suppose uh, to turn the question back on you guys and, and uh think about what sort of bidders do you think that they'll end up being you've you've kind of you guys have kind of talked about how, how most of uh, the bidders that are looking to come into the space now as guys who are winning and like winning in like a reasonable capacity are uh, top-down bidders. Do you think these guys will largely be uh, looking to to go chase steam or do you think um, there's going to be like a new wave of originators that'll come through? And and also what markets do you think they're going to be bidding into? That's a good question. So I we might disagree and I'll, I'll just give my opinion on this. So I think that the market has overcorrected towards the top-down approach because it's easier, right? And I'm not saying like, I don't want to dismiss one over the other, but I could teach my wife basically like top down in an hour and she could probably have some success doing that. And that's not to diminish what people do because there's still a skill and like there's going to be better top down betters than others. But the, the bottom up is like a lot of work, essentially. Like modeling is work and it's upkeep. So I think we've gone too far my experience at BetBash was a lot of people coming up to me saying like, I've done top down, I've done really well, but now I'm just stuck. Like I'm, I've lost my outs. And I think eventually a lot of people are going to get to that spot where it's like, okay, what do I do now? And we're going to see like a shift back the other way. And then, you know, it's, it, it's just like a perpetual cycle of back and forth. And that's what I personally think is going to happen over the next decade. But you know, do you agree with that? Or, or So I think, okay, I was actually just looking at something on this right now because it's, this is, I was doing work on this literally yesterday. Okay. I think the top down betting thing and the whole, like, give me the pick industry is actually the same. And what I mean by that, it's a weird take here, but a lot of people want to bet sports 
because they just they don't want to necessarily have to actually originate the game because then they feel like absolute shit when they lose. Mm-hmm. So people basically want to have something where it's like, oh, this is a good pick. That way, if it loses, they can say, well, it's, it was what it was. I bet I bet a good pick. I'm good in the long run. And they can continually churn and churn and not necessarily. I would say it's way more fun that way. You know, definitely don't want to get into like problem gaming things where people like go too far. But for the average person who's like just betting recreationally, you can hide behind that thing and still like enjoy what you're doing. A bad day doesn't seem as bad when you picked off good numbers. A bad day also doesn't seem as bad when you bought picks from a tote who came in and sold you those picks and you you have a, in your mind like, okay, this guy wins long term, so I'm good. It's the same way the mentality actually shifts for those betters is the same in the top-down approach versus the buying picks from somebody else approach. One of them is probably going to win you money top-down. One's probably going to lose you money buying picks. However, you you both think that they're going to win you money, and because of that, you can keep going and going and going on that strategy and have fun. Whereas when you're making the picks yourself, if you have a losing day, you start to question everything. I'm like, am I personally shit? Do I even win at sports betting? I made a bad bet. I'm not thinking straight. I need to do this. I need to wake up an extra four hours earlier and do more capping tomorrow. Like these, this is where I know it's a long winded rant here, but to simplify your answer, I don't think the top down approach is going anywhere because I just think it's such an easy way for people to bet hide behind any results they have, whether good or bad, and in general, have fun with it. So why would you stop doing it like that? I'll, I'll let Shipper jump in in a second here. The only counter I have to that is I think that that takes the ego of the sports fan out of the equation. Like my friends don't want to do top down because they want to believe that they can handicap the games themselves. But that's, that's literally, okay, 100% you're right. Yeah. That's a separate side of per- people who don't even bother buying picks, who don't even do this, and they're, they're just willing to dunk money and probably lose on their own opinion and still be happy to lose thinking they're going to win. Right. And those are the people who the books that we're discussing here yeah. want to book and want to have. The people who are in the other end, which is significantly growing versus the right side of my equation. So the right side is the people who just want to lose money and don't care about it and are ego-driven. Yep. That part, I think, is shrinking now. I agree. And I think the growing part is the, the people who are betting sports thinking... Yeah, I'm still trying to win, even though they might not win long term, but they're actually like at some point putting in some sort of effort. And those are the people who in the long run, if they're using top down or buying picks or whatever and have that mentality, like they don't, they're either going to be not profitable for the book or very small profit. Shipper, what do you think? Yeah, I'm somewhat similar to Rob in the sense that I don't, I think it's really hard for my, my brain to grasp that uh, it would be more fun to bet top down than bottom up. Like, do you know what's really fun? Betting your opinion and then being like, I'm the man. I was more right than the books. Like, that is so sick. Um, I think you're also right, though, Johnny, that you do, when you, when you know you got it in good and it's, like, not your own play, you can rationalize the losses a lot easier. You just say, well, I, was gonna, I, I won theoretically. It's fine. It, it doesn't matter at all. Whereas like if you beat, if you just like win as an, I mean, sorry, if you lose as an origi- originator, you just kind of, you don't really know whether you got it in good or not. Like, especially if you're playing in a market where um, you're creating your own CLV or the, or you're not, or there's no like, there's no um, a way to beat the close or anything like that. Uh, then, you know, you really don't know whether you got it in good and you kind of have to just rely on your bank account, which is, which is like kind of more difficult. And there's certainly more swings uh, in that side. Um, to me, I think the only way 
that books are going to want these like semi-sharp clients is if you can grow that right side, the person that does believe that they can win betting their own opinion, because like, you're just not going to beat top down, like you're not going to beat top down betters, bet, um, taking the best price and betting steam all the time. I just like a, a soft book. It just isn't going to be able to do it because if you, if the price was right, these guys wouldn't place the bet. I think there's also like the combo better as well, right? Which that has the general idea of how to win. So here's the example, like, and I'll use my inner group of friends, right? My friends watch Brad Powers release show Monday mornings on hit the books, part of the hammer. And they'd watch it because they know that, or they feel as they're going to get a valuable bet from Brad Powers on college football or two bets, three bets, four bets, depending on the day. And they're going to go out and bet that all the games that he gives out. And while they're logged into their accounts, they're also going to bet like five of their own opinions for the week as well. So it's like they're, they're cognizant enough to know that this guy is a good better. He's beating the close for the most part. He has a long-term track history of success. I want to tail this guy, but I still want to be able to bet my own stuff as well. And I actually think that that's like becoming more and more dominant in the space. If that makes from sense. what I'm seeing personally, from what I'm seeing, like, I don't even think that there's that many of those people amongst the younger generation. I do see a lot of that amongst like my, our, our ages, yeah. our three ages in the room right here. I see a lot of what Rob's saying. When we start going into the whole like TikTok betting now, it's, it's either people who are making the content saying this, this, this shit slaps. This is going to win. Fire me up. Taylor Swift parlay, 22 yards, Travis Kelsey. There's that. There's that better, or there's the better who's like, I'm tailing this guy to, to tail his picks. I, ha I haven't necessarily seen the originator guy who's just like the this pick slaps guy going for the other side, and I haven't necessarily seen them overlap. But that's more amongst the younger generation now. Our age, I have seen that m way more. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, obviously what I consume is going to influence my perspective on things, right? I mean, I'm in my mid-30s my social media of choice is Twitter. I see things differently than someone who's 21 years old who spends their time on TikTok and Instagram and stuff like that, which is why I'm, I'm very interested in Shipper's perspective here because no one is better like suited to make that judgment on how the industry is evolving than someone who sees that action coming in regularly, right? And I don't know, like, have you seen, have you noticed significant changes even over the course of a couple years of regulated sports betting in the US or does the behavior seem like it's it's just the same as it was a few years ago? Oh yeah, absolutely absolutely it's changed. First I, I want to address like the the mixed better, the guy who wins on some picks and doesn't win on other picks. If they if those picks are all kind of placed at a similar time. So if we're using the Brad Powers example, let's say it's Monday morning or whatever, um, and they're placing both uh, you know, the recreate the, the wages based on their own opinion that aren't going to win. And then the Brad Powers picks that are going to beat the close and win. It's just like that better A is A is very rare, but B um, it's really easy to tell whether the, the, the package of that person's wages are good or bad for the book, right? Like you just like, you just run a report. If the, um, if the implied uh, probability of them winning or losing by the closing price is, you know, if it's like, if it's going to say that they're going to be a winner, you don't have them. If the totality, even with the some winning bets and some losing bets, is going to be a loser, then you keep them. It's like really easy to do. The more way more common is like you might get somebody who's like moving for somebody and then also bet themselves. So they might bet some early week 
stuff uh say on a tuesday or whatever and they are moving moving for them and then they also bet their stuff they're like um their recreational saying their parlay or whatever at, at kickoff now you now the key is can you keep that better around um by taking a bet on the um on the earlier wager but certainly not trying to take a bet so that the the mix is a negative one for you you know, you want to take eighty percent of it to be a recreational wager, and then twenty percent of it to be um, to be sharp stuff. That's absolutely fine. Like, there's there's no problem with that because it all just comes down to the calculation at the end. Like, is this person going to be profitable for the book or not? So, so let's get into that now because I know we were gonna we were gonna get into this. is great information for anyone listening right now. You're not gonna find this on other podcasts. Circles off number one podcast. Rate and review five stars. Smash absolutely obliterate that like button. We didn't get enough likes last episode because we didn't actually say it. But actually, right now, take two seconds, smash the like. It elevates our content on YouTube. Other people can find it, and I think this is gonna be very valuable information for people. Okay, so there. shipper, this is the question. Then you mentioned running reports. You've seen the back end. You've managed the back end. Hell, you've limited multiple players, probably including myself, Rob, Zach, everyone here. If you've been limited, it might have been at the hands of the shipper, all right? And you're shipping the justice. But what goes into limiting a player? What are the main factors that the book looks at? You mentioned running a report. How does it work? Let's go. Well, one of the things I tried to... Um, it's it's hard to hard to say too much here. I tried to build um, my brain to be the report, basically. Okay, what do I see of the people that uh, that are pro profitable bidders, and how can I catch these bidders? The easiest one is if you beat the close. That's the simplest thing. Um, you know, that is just so black and white. Say you bet something minus two and a half that closes minus three and a half. You have the implied probability of what the two and a half is at kickoff. And then you multiply that by the by the stake, and that just gives you an EV on that person's bet. You aggregate all of those wages together, and then it's just going to spit out a number and like and then a, a percentage of um, uh, sorry, an ROI, an expected ROI on all that person's wages. The thing is, is that bet bet mix and bet patterns that it it converges to their long run average for most people so quickly. So you can catch somebody in literally like one bet some of the time. Um, like a, a really good example, actually, um, the first funnel that you'll hit is a promotional funnel. Um, so let's say that you have a book where um, it's a 5K, 5K risk-free risk -free wager. Um, hopefully Ohio doesn't catch me and, uh, and find me for saying risk-free or, or, uh, or riskless. The, the optimal way to use that wager is to bet it on an underdog, right? And a lot of people have spoken about this. Um, it's a, it's a, and it's correct. It's, it's what the educators should say. If you place a wager on a risk-free free bet and it's, say, on a plus 500 shot, you need to be able to lose that risk-free wager most of the time to get the benefit of it. So if you just see that you have a $5,000 risk-free bet, the first person comes in, they bet uh, a $5,000 wager at plus 500, that like what proportion of people who do that go on to be profitable bettors for you? Very few, very, very few. And it just sticks out like a sore thumb. And so that person is straight away got a monitor on them. So you're saying um, so people just through optimally that, using the bonuses? 100%, yeah. And then if that loses, then they use their free bet. Say, say, so the second one would be then they use their free bet on a long shot. Again, 
bang, perfect. What proportion of them nailing it twice in a row? What proportion of those become, go on to become long-term losers? Almost zero, like practically zero. So trying like that, you, that's just a way to get yourself binned straight away. Uh, and, and, and making it through that first prom promotional funnel, then you start getting to um, future funnels after that. It's funny that you We're mentioned dropping that. dropping the real knowledge here. Yeah, We're dropping the real knowledge on circles. Well, because out. there's an EV calc that can happen on both sides, right? There's an EV calc that happens on the book side where it's like, okay, what's you know the EV on this person using their free bet this way? And from a, a, a you know consumer perspective, you can calculate the same thing, right? It's like, well, what if I actually just donk away this free bet in like the least optimal way possible? Yes, I'm losing EV on that actual free bet, but the likelihood that this account is going to last X amount of time, you can come up with like a rough EV of making a bad free bet. What, okay, what if somebody doesn't accept the bonus? Yeah, that's it's a really interesting one. You it, it um, you see it at both tails. Like uh, you see, like it's like the midwit meme kind of. The midwits in the middle, they are the people who maximize the bonus. Um, it's 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 interesting. Like if I had to just pull numbers out of the top of my head. If it's like this person is go is going to be limited in the future, probably ninety percent of them use the bo bonus optimally. The 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 next like eight percent or nine percent use the bonus almost optimally, so they bet four thousand nine hundred ninety nine dollars or like five thousand five hundred dollars, uh, so that they don't exactly fill pro um, promotional terms, but they still like maximize their or like go close to maximizing their EV by doing it, and then like one percent or two percent of people just like don't use the free bet in an optimal way. Well, what about if they just don't take the free bet? They opt out of the bonus. Then, is that, then either is that they, suspicious or no? Well, that's the thing. Like that's where it's midwit. They either suck or they are amazing, like are, are <laughs> really a really good better. And so, so that can be a way, you know, if, especially if you can pair that with looking stupid in the next few bets. Now that's when you're really starting to get somewhere. It's funny um, that you mentioned that. And this is actually all very fascinating in terms of, uh, and by the way, this is like one opinion. I should just point that out there. Obviously, Shipper has expertise in this space. Doesn't mean every sports book is going to do things. This is just through his experience, what he's speaking to right now. But you mentioned right away, closing line value, right? In terms of the easy way to spot a winning better versus a losing better. And sometimes you can do it within a few bets. What about if a player is getting good closing line value on parlays. So basically taking all these individual bets and rather than playing them as straights, which would make it very obvious that all these are beating the line, throwing them into like five and six game parlays. Is that a type of strategy that might potentially get someone under the radar? I've talking to, uh, spoken to several people in the space. I should use my English properly, talking. I've spoken to, to several people in the space and they all have different mixed opinions on whether this works for them or not. Curious how a trader views the parlay wager relative to straight bets. It's going to it's going to depend. It's going to show up in the CLV calculation. And it's going to show up right at the top, right? Like, what's the most CLV you can get on a straight? Let's say ten percent, right? And you let's say that you get five five percent CLV wages all parlayed together. You know. Uh, I'm, I'm not 100% sure what that would be, like uh, what that would math out to be, but it's going to be really high and it's going to be a lot more than 10%. So they're going to show up right at the top because you might run a report and it's just going to be sorted by XROI and the, the top person is just going to be some ridiculous outlier where they might have got either one one crazy 
wager where um, the starting quarterback got ruled out or whatever, um, or there's going to be you know a parlay of a bunch of things together. So the trader is going to see it, but whether they go in and they're actually going to get rid of you kind of depends on how deeply they're going to look into it. I wouldn't do it under under an account named Rob Pozzola, that's for sure. Um, I'm, I may do it out uh, off, off of an account not named Rob Pozzola. Then you, you you may get away with it. The other thing I just wanted to kind of like leave as, as a disclaimer as you kind of talked about how this is my experience. This is also, in fact, probably mostly my experience as a better more than it is points bet specific um, for all of these things. Interesting. So we, we talked a little bit about you know, kind of limiting based on the CLV. Now, not for anything, but the book's limiting based on CLV. The betters are winning based on CLV. Is this not a major point forward in the CLV debate that this actually matters and is the truest indicator of if you're going to win? Shipper? Well, I think, <laughs> I just think anybody who's like, who is a non-CLV trooper, they're just obviously very stupid, right? They, they, like there's not even really any point, point paying attention. I, I, I like, it, it, if you're debating this at the moment, you probably believe the earth is flat. I just can't, you can, you can win without CLV and the best do win without CLV. But like, why are we concentrating on this tiny little percentage? There's no point. Yeah. If you want to win, if you want to win, get CLV. Is probably the answer. Uh, agreed, and and I mean, hearing it now from the other end, by the way, for a lot of these, for a lot of our listeners, and uh, I think it's just like the last kind of nail in the coffin. Like you look at the book, they're limiting you based on if you're getting CLV or not. Obviously, that means you would prefer to not get CLV and win, but it just shows how difficult it actually is to go ahead and do that, and how much of an indicator actually getting the CLV is to you winning. Because they're like you're hearing from Shipper right here, like points bet is not even limiting. Base, or sorry, I wouldn't say points bet specifically, but books aren't even limiting based on whether you win or lose. That's Does that not like open up so much in your head? Like they're not even, if you could win a massive bet and have negative CLV and they'll be like, yeah, keep, keep, keep on going. dunking, keep on going. Whereas if it's reversed, five, six bets in a row, see ya, we don't want your action. Like it's the truest indicator of success, closing line value. You know what? You know what people really love in the corporate world is slide decks, uh, like, like uh, uh, PowerPoint presentations. <laughs> And uh, I know my accent sounds funny when I say Dex, so uh, <laughs> I, I really tried to really tried to uh, say it a little bit different. But um, I created this like beautiful graph where it's like the winner in the short run. Um, the way that you can tell that they're a winner, the first one is um, how they maximize the promotional terms. Second one is uh, when they place their wages. Is it early? Is it late? Um, do they use parlays? Do they not use parlays? Whatever. Third one is um, CLV after X amount of bets, which is typically really low. And then the fourth one is whether they win in the long run. That's how you tell whether a, a better is a winner in the, sh in the um, small sample. Now, if you look in the large sample, it's the complete opposite way around. In the large sample, whether you win or lose, that's the that's the most important thing. And then it kind of goes down in importance from there. What's a large sample? Like, is it a number of it, months, it number of bets, number thousands, of thousands, thousands, thousands of bets. Okay, so that, I was just gonna ask that because uh, I've always been curious. I mean, and this is just, again, your experience, but have you ever encountered a better who over a very large sample of size, large sample size was getting poor CLV, but continuously winning in your experience? Does that actually ever happen? Yeah, but like, you're not going to spend that long trying to find them and like, ultimately it's just going to, it, it only comes 
to, to a head when they win a bunch of money and then you like really truly dig down into what they're doing and most of the time they will trip up in another area something like uh, their betting pattern like they they bet the same thing all the time or they bet the same way all the time they're exploiting one weird area of your same game parlay engine they're exploiting one uh like little quirk and correlation that you don't have quite correct and like there isn't and maybe the whole market has it incorrect but if they're just betting the same thing every time what's the probability that that person is a loser do they really love betting this like exotic thing or do they really love betting this like exact like uh you know this exact wager type all the time the person who beats the major market without getting clv uh, you know, that's a real unicorn and that they're probably not bidding at points bet. Well, so has there ever been uh, scenarios where you looked at a guy's profile, guy or girl's profile, and you're like, you know what? I'm going to let them fire away. They're not going to beat me. And check back me a couple weeks later only to found, find they, they, they basically took you to the cleaners. Has it ever happened to you? Never, never when you're 100% sure. But uh, there's certainly times when you're like, I think this guy's like, 70% good, 30% bad, and then, you, and then you come back, you know, two weeks later, and it's uh, it's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty conclusive that you got it wrong. Okay, so you've never been a hundred percent sure that someone was a square and they beat you up. I don't think so. Okay, I good. don't think so. Good, good, fair enough. Uh, one thing on my end. So you mentioned um, basically running your own version of reports in your head sometimes, like an EV calculation. You also re mentioned actual reporting, like a cl closing line value report. Uh, I'm interested in like the software or the tools that are available to traders to help with their risk management responsibilities. Like, what are we talking about here? Like there, there's people out there that thinks there's like this level of sophistication from sports books that's just like extreme. Like they have all the power in the world to immediately identify this, that, and the other how much manual digging do you have to do? Is there a possibility that stuff can fly under the radar? Uh, I'm curious in, in, in terms of the level of sophistication of, of the software. Some of it, yeah. Like um, you're getting, you get pretty good signal for everything. But the other, the other thing is like, from my experience, every book is so different in the way and what works and what doesn't. You've kind of got to test it out to see which, which stuff uh, slides through. Um, I, I don't really want to get into specific examples of how, what, what things work at other books. Um, but I would say that most of the things I, I would say that a lot of bidders don't think about what books can see when, when you place a bit like, you know, the, 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 one of the first things that people will get caught with when they try to bid into a book is, you know, a device match, um, a device match is when you have a, an account and then you use someone else's account on your on that same device that's going to get caught by pretty much every book like probably probably don't do that a you're not you shouldn't be doing that anyway that's like it's against you shouldn't be placing 100 percent. you shouldn't be doing that and and it's and it's arguably against the law potentially i don't like we haven't seen anything tried for that uh which is going to be really interesting once it does get to that that level um, but yeah, that's like probably the most rookie era. Um, other things will be, um, IP matches, you know, uh, say you're using the same device, but I've been mean, a different device, but you're using your laptop instead of your phone on your home Wi-Fi. You're going to get in trouble there. Those things are all linked. So you've just got to think about what things could potentially identify you and then how could they link you to a bid? 
Um, you know, if you have the same last name, that's also going to get caught. Like, just if you 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 need to think about it. I think if you're the, if you're from the betters perspective, we're talking about people. You know, what percentage of people get limited? Not really that many. I know. Actually, there's gonna you be know some what? Jokes Do you about. have a percentage for us? No, I I really I really projections. Um, three maybe three percent. Three percent of betters get limited. Two percent like that. Eh? Yeah. Wow. But, but because that's that's like industry standard of the percentage of betters that wins. Like roughly, right? No, no, I, I know, I know. I'm yeah. just saying, three, two percent, three percent. Like it's good to get a nice percentage yeah. in there. That would, that would, that would be the guess, yeah. Uh, and and it's just, you know, like you, there are people I think would consistently overestimate that just because they, you know, they might have their ticker set up, and this what this kind of answers your question about um what traders will see. They they have a bet stream. All the bets come in, um, you know, and and they'll have some form of filter on there. Some of the time it might be. A percentage of the max wage of the book limit that you have for a standard client in that um, in that uh, particular wager type. So let's say that the standard limit for a standard client before it gets sent to a trader or you know gets sent for approval is 10k on a point spread, like kind of close to the jump on on the NBA. Now maybe a trader might have um, they might see all wages that are above 50% of the max bet. Um, so on a prop, let's say that the prop is 500. They would see all way, all prop wages over 250, and then they would see all um, side bets over 5,000, something like that. And some some traders might have a hard stake limit. They might have say um, all wages over 100. dollars um, Some traders might have a to win or a, a um, liability limit where it's all wages where um, the book will lose over 1,000 dollars if this if this um, bet does hit. So. You kind of need to try and figure out what the trader may be seeing on their end. Um, again, like you kind of got, kind of got to think through these things. You've got to test them. Um, and and and, but the point that I I, I wanted to get to it, uh, around um, inflating the number of uh, accounts that get limited is you don't see those one dollar, those fifty cent same game parlays. They just they just don't hit your ticker, and so you just kind of like always going to you're always going to pay too much attention to the, like the bigger and the sharper wages. I swear we will move on from this topic at some point very shortly here. But w- uh, one last thing that I'm curious about is how much of the limiting or profiling of players happens in real time relative to after the fact. Because nowadays you have obviously like big services like right angle sports, right? I'm I'm just assuming that a trader would have some access to real time wagers that are coming in one by one. A release comes out from a big service or something and just the screen starts lighting up with all these wagers, it would seem pretty easy that the trader could just then click that account and be like, uh, limit, 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 limit. Like how much of that actually happens versus it just being like a CLV report at the end of the day? Yeah, most of them are getting caught by a CLV report. And the other thing is like, you've got to think about the size of the book. The smaller the book, the more manual, or like the easier it is for a trader to spot your stuff. Um, you know, if you are bidding at a, at a, a book that doesn't, doesn't have a ton of action or that has a really low market share, then anything that you do is going to um, see greater attention than if you are betting at DraftKings or FanDuel where they're, where they're taking tons of wages. Um, yeah, that's so, so I would like add a guess. It's probably something like, you know, 5% of, uh, of people who are, no, far less than that. 1% of people who are getting limited are getting done in real time. Um, it, it, <laughs> Uh, to, to talk about the example, though, it is really easy. It sticks out like a sore thumb when you when you tail right angle sports. Just for the audience out there, I do want to, to preach this one more time. We've talked a lot about limiting 
and you know doing things to prevent your accounts from getting limited and so on and so forth one spot in Ontario where that will not happen to you no matter what is Pinnacle Sportsbook they offer the same limits to every single person no matter what you bet you're going to be able to bet the same as your friends me and Johnny got the same bet limits and we don't have to that might have more bet limits actually Possibly. I'm, I'm kidding. We're I'm just kidding. joking. We, 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 uh, yeah, we, we don't have to worry about friends. that. We just do not have to worry about that altogether. All so if you're in Ontario and you do want to sign up for Pinnacle Sportsbook, do so using code HAMMER as it does help support the show. Um, in the same vein, Chipper, but like a little bit different, curious what your thoughts are on responsible gaming and more specifically, whether or not limiting winning betters is a direct contradiction of all of this responsible gaming push and these campaigns that are coming from sports books right now. Yeah, I think books do take responsible gaming seriously. Um, you get trained on responsible gaming when you're a trader. Um, and, that, and that's happened at every stop I've been to. Uh, you, if you spot it, um, although, although people may think that uh, tr traders at these regulated sports books are, are vile and immoral, um they also they are human they like feel um an obligation to report any any um responsible gaming issues it then goes outside the trader's hands and is is dealt with by, into, by like internal uh, responsible gaming um teams now the difficulty is that often these these um, irresponsible gamers are very profitable for the books uh and so there are you know limiting limiting winning bidders is kind of it is kind of like antithetical to to responsible gaming in a sense because like you know you know what's like can potentially be irresponsible is losing a lot of money yeah um winning a lot of money is never going to be irresponsible right or or maybe but winning a lot of money sustainably is like is almost never going to be irresponsible so it's hard like when you kick out those bidders you're certainly not doing so for responsible gaming reasons and one of the issues that is probably going to come onshore in the States and, and in Canada um, in the near future. And we're seeing in, in the UK is, is the, uh, is books having to deal with responsible gaming issues and then using that as a tool to kick out uh, winning sports betters, uh, things like source of funds checks and, uh, and kind of limiting people for by placing large wages based off of how much they have in terms of income and all that sort of stuff. Like that will disproportionate, like when a book, if a book is able to apply that and they're the arbiter of doing so and there's no and, and the commission isn't or the gaming commission or the regulator isn't doing a good enough job of policing it then that will disproportionately affect winning bettors that is really icky really disgusting and hopefully something that the usa will be able to deal with in a manner that is kind of a little bit different to australia and, and the uk yeah what's um, what's extremely hypocritical i think from my perspective is Listen, I'm glad sportsbooks run responsible gaming campaigns. Like I said, I've, I've, I've told my story in the past before, but I grew up and I lost a lot of money betting on sports. And I wish that there was like a, a little bit more education out there at the time that I was growing up. So I do applaud them for that. But it seems extremely hypocritical to say like, we care about responsible gaming, bet within your limits, but guess what? We don't want any winners. Like we're only taking your action if we know that you're going to lose in the long run. Like to me, there's a clear divide between those two like campaigns essentially right or, or one campaign and then the behind the scenes we don't want to take any winning winning action whatsoever i i just 
that that really bothers me about the space right now is that there is this push towards the public facing responsible gaming but behind the scenes with the rec book it's like well guess what if this guy's gonna win see you later to the limits we don't want the action anymore yeah. you basically and the press conferences are more like well it's for recreation only so like right for recreation it's for losers only is like is basically what the translation of that is and that's where i have an issue with like the outward facing responsible gaming campaigns now because i just think that they're it's all fluff like it's all pr it's just it's just trying to put a different lipstick on a pig type of situation I think it Pete, is. Peter might have it, something to say about oh, that. Oh, sorry. One. I don't know if I can say that. <laughs> that might I'm, be uh, I'm also, I'm a, I'm a vegan myself. So I do, I do, uh, I do uh, enjoy that you guys have, have stopped uh, talking about killing uh, two birds with one stone. Very, very, very good. <laughs> Feed two um, birds with one scone, as Peter would like you to it. say. I wonder if lipstick that's on a it. pig is actually one of them. That's, that would be, that would be funny. If not, uh, if not they got to make it. Sorry, a shiver. Go ahead. No, that's all right. To discuss the matter at hand, I think like, Yes, yes, it is hypocritical, but kicking out winners is like a different part of, um, as long as you're not removing winners using responsible gaming, then to me, it's these are two separate issues. Like, if you're using responsible gaming, like, um, as, as a guile, or as, uh, sorry, as like a, something to hide behind, to, um, to say that, like, you're removing this person because you don't think that they're betting responsibly that's bad if you're kicking out all your winners and then you are applying responsible gaming measures to the remaining pile of people who are going to lose long term that's fine and in fact very good in my opinion as long as that's done in a manner that is like truly you know adhered to and and people and these books aren't getting greedy now you've seen some massive fines occur in the uk i think entain got fined 18 million dollars or something mm -hmm. um and so if the fines are big enough, then the books should hopefully act in their in what is their best interest, and and that best interest would align with uh, with responsible gaming um, um, being adhered to as well. Fair enough, fair enough. All right, Chip, we got a game for us here. This is for all the gambling Twitter faithful. You guys are gonna thank me for this one. Should be pretty fun, right? So, our friend here, Rob Pizzola, he's compiled the list. He's got five names, five different. Uh, I, I got more than five. But okay, I, okay, we're top five in it. Or maybe we'll go deeper. He's got a list of names that have appeared on the shipper's timeline. And let's call it a negative light. You know, maybe not the most positive light. Who knows what exactly was said. But there's some people in the space that you should be familiar with that the shipper disagrees with in the industry. So what we're going to do is we're going to list out name by name. And we're going to get the, the shipper's thoughts on that person in real time. To anybody whose name is on this list, I don't even know who's on the list right now, who we're going to mention. It's all fun and games. If you, if you want a chance to defend yourself, comment below. And while you're there, like and absolutely smash that like button. All right, go ahead, Rob. Okay, let's start with Book It Trent. Yeah, he is an interesting character because I agree with you that his content is entertaining. And it's, well, it's not entertaining to me, but it's definitely entertaining to plenty of people. Like watching this like fat white dude, like twerk after losing bets is like pretty funny, I suppose. Uh, that that to me is, is like entertaining, provides entertainment value. I agree with you that he doesn't represent himself as a winning better, but he does represent his life like pretty good. He hangs out with his friends all day. 
he gambles all the time he goes to these sporting events and like to me it's like incredibly good marketing book it is like incredibly good at how they market and if if they weren't so bad in their responsible gaming they would be snapped up by a regulated book right away like the deal with prospects can't be big enough that FanDuel or DraftKings wouldn't go and get them anyway um what they what it shows is it it's almost this like it's almost building up what losing how like how great losing is like cool i lose all the time but i still get to hang out with my friends all day i still get to go to the games i still get to like have these six sweats all the time and it's there's no consequence for his losses but it, and it like it models it models the losing behavior to the books which is why it's so brilliant okay this is Inter- very interesting. This is your, very your episode, so I, I won't debate this for like half an hour. Um, it came up on, on the Bet Bash panel with, that I was on with Darren Ravel, and it was a little bit misquoted in Rufus's tweet thread, which was just him typing things that weren't necessarily brought up in the right context. One day, the video of that is going to come out, and like what I said will be explicitly clear. I did not shed light on on the book it brand as like being this oh this great brand or anything like that it was just that trent is a big personality that i think is real with his followers um now your point is well taken about like living the lifestyle and he's doing that using prize picks money essentially to go to baseball games hang out with friends all the day all day and shoot content and i understand that but relatively speaking for someone with that following who makes light of the fact that they're not a winning better. They're very open with the audience about that. And just that they want to build a community of people to like sweat games with. Maybe not like completely kosher, but I also don't think extremely harmful. So that's my take on that. You can, you're, you can feel free to rebut that. As yeah. Well. Um, I, no, I agree. And the, the funny, the funny thing is like, obviously my, my Twitter is so black and white. Uh, every, like with everything there's, there's always shades of gray. There are aspects of, what Trent does, him, his transparency about losing is like, is very good. That's like somewhat, that's like a positive mark in his camp. And I agree with you that that, that is helpful. The other thing is, is the bet mix too. Like he is the model character. Like obviously he's being told to bet parlays. And then when you bet parlays, you can like hype up winning each leg, sweat each leg perfectly, make it look even more and more fun give these huge bangs when you hit the first leg of your six leg parlay. Like these are, these are really good things um, from a marketing perspective, if not through viewed through a marketing lens and just through an entertainment and like losing lens, then like, I think it's fine. But I truly believe that he causes the most harm of any, of any uh, individual that doesn't work for a sports, like doesn't technically work for a sports, but fair enough. All right. Up next. Okay. Uh, plus EV analytics. Friend, oh, friend, friend of the, of the show. show. Friend of the show. I think I think with plus EV analytics, he's very clearly somebody who can win. He's very clearly somebody who can uh, price markets in ways and like deliver lessons that are like really handy um, to some bidders. It's just like really difficult to square that away with um, not trying to like maximize his edge a little bit and just like tweeting out <laughs> tweeting out about these things. Like just I suppose it's kind of difficult because um, I'm making a moral judgment on someone else's behalf about like, just man, just be quiet and like bet these things rather than um, having to, having to like educate people. The other, and then the other thing is that I think 
perimeter uncertainty and and talking about a lot of um talking dealing with like variants is helpful on some things but like and and you know i think he focuses on areas of of getting a better price or, or like having a better price than what um or having a better fare than what market is without actually focusing on like the interesting stuff which is like having instead of like understanding the variance of a player um understand whether that player is actually good or not or whether that team's actually good or not it's just like not the content that i'd like to consume i suppose fair enough uh i get the point like especially the the first point about you know him being a winning better just like keep the stuff to yourself i think that's probably pretty much echoed by a lot of winning betters uh in the space and i think that's uh that's totally fair uh rex buyers plus cv by the way great guy yes shout out plus yeah yeah, we we I'm a, I'm friends with Plus EV. I'll make that known out there. I think he's a good dude. Um, so yeah, that's it. I just wanted. To All right, up next. Sorry, uh, sorry. Go ahead. I'm not surprised that Plus EV is a good dude. I definitely don't think Rex Byers is a good dude, right? Like this, there's just no way. <laughs> uh, actually, I, co- contrary laughing. to that, sorry. I will say. So again, this is this is all through our own personal lenses, right? Like, and sometimes like one or two experiences with someone might completely change your opinion of them. I would honestly say that this interview with you, Shipper, has largely changed my opinion of you. That's the honest truth. Just a, a one-hour interaction, um, very articulate, uh, and you know we can engage in like good discussion, whereas online we can't. Rex Byers. Shitty points bet trader joins for a discussion. I don't remember, I think that's I don't actually remember the title. if I called... Uh, if I called Shipper the shitty points bet trader or Sprots better, it was one, but whatever. We're pack- I think it was Shipper. It might have been Shipper. It might have been Shipper. Was it you, buddy? Yeah, it, w- it was. It was me. But <laughs> you got to you got to take you got to take it that that uh, two former points bet traders now very successful. Well, I uh, I like to think of myself as very successful. Sprots is definitely very successful, uh, winning winning uh, winning bettors. So it's a it's fostered uh, fostered some winning winning bettors. Uh, well, it's funny because here's the thing that really gets me is that there's a lot of overlap between people that we generally deal with, especially myself and Sprots. Yet there's like this vitriol online, like this hate that's spewed. Uh, Anyways, we'll get into that in one second. We started with Rex Byers. I said the name already. Rex Byers, I've met in person several times, and he's probably one of the most enjoyable people to be around as a as a human just like a generally good guy very friendly i don't think it necessarily always comes across maybe on twitter and that might be where you're going with it yeah i think i think like this one is just sorted by political differences i think um more than anything like a i don't think that he's incredibly smart um just by some of the way that he thinks about things he's very old school um you know like probably like pretty smart and like a reasonable person to be a trader um, but certainly like not uh, someone who's incredibly brilliant. The, the issue, most of the issues I take with him is, is like, he's just happily, um, you know, do, doing everything, but calling people the N word online. Like it's just not good. Um, yeah, you, I mean, you can, you can dig that back through some, uh, some past history. Uh, he's, he's a, he's a, he's just a proudly right-wing man, which is fine. Um, but I, yeah, very happy to take issue with that. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, Brock Landers. Rocklanders, I think, is a funny one. He's kind of one where it's been, I think, I'm kind of surprised where you got, where you've been um, a fan of his 
at least in the past, because you've talked about misrepresent misrepresentation. Um, I think he kind of at least somewhat represents himself as, you know, this winning baseball originator. And then often it's not really that. Um, he's a tough, like, I, th I just think he's, he says some, says some like really stupid stuff sometimes. Like he tweets out that Sandy Day, every time Sandy, Sandy Alcantara pitches or like, an, or uh, Otani Day or like, it, I don't know. I don't really have that much of a problem with him. He just kind of is funny to laugh at. There's some people that can rub you the wrong way, definitely. I'll push back a little bit on the misrepresentation with him because I don't think he outwardly says that, like, he's this full-time pro and great originator. Like, going into the interview that we had with Brock Landers, I just didn't really know much about him. Um, and we asked the questions. It came out that he has, like, a secondary business. And I think a lot of people jumped on him for that, thinking that, you know, maybe, sure, he's representing himself as a uh, pro better. I didn't get that personally, but I get that. Final one we're going to throw to you. Uh, the Circles Off channel, in specifically me, J Johnny from Betstamp. I think you spelt it J-A-A-A-H-N-N-Y, uh, Kevin Davis. I think those would be the three that you've had some issues with over the last couple of years. Oh, I guess go one by one here. Yeah, uh, I think it's like so easy to just call out. Like when you guys are producing so much content, it's so easy to call out something that you've got wrong. Like even if you're not, it's the same way if, as if you're booking, if you have 99% correct prices on site and 1% bad, you're going to get spoked on the 1%. It's the same with you guys. Like you guys will just get some things wrong sometimes or like some things that I disagree with. And then I uh, will call it, call that out without ever, ever actually praising you for like the good stuff and the stuff that I agree with. And that's why it's so like, so um, kind of divergent. Um, Kevin Davis is a little bit different like i think that it's pretty easy to say it's like easy to say that you guys are winners li likely winners um that that would be my opinion of well, percentage you chance. guys win in the long run uh well over 90 i would guess for me or um, <laughs> for for me it's 100 for you i don't know <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well i mean i both i did i did go in and, and both uh a ban you before you even made your first bet at points bet, I believe. Um, as, as uh, so, I, okay, wait, 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 wait. Stop right there. Stop right there. I have to discuss this. We were at... No, I can't say that. We can't say this. Wait, is it mine or yours? I'm going to say mine only. I'll, I'll say this. I'll say this. I, I can't play at points bet. Never once placed a bet. I'm banned. There's some, there were some notes on my account. I don't know who wrote the notes. I don't know. I'm not going to disclose what those notes said, but all I can just... All, all I know is that shipper has confirmed that it was him okay i i will also say that uh i won't give the specifics because i don't want to get anyone with this brand in trouble or anything like that but i have seen a note on my points bet account um now now that i know that it's come from you it's actually incredibly disappointing i take back all the good things that i said <laughs> i wasn't even looking to bet a lot on that account i like i maybe deposited like 5k or something like that like it was a small amount doesn't matter. Are you going to lose? Like, are you going to lose or are you going to win? I, and what does it look like? What does it look like? What does it look like as well? Selling up the chain. Like if you do win, like I, the, the only question was like, is it worth keeping you around to foster, um, you know, some benefit, positive some promotional media, media. Like that. <laughs> true story. Exactly. This exactly. is a true story. So I ended up winning, I don't know, roughly 4k on that account. And I did that on like, $50 bets, if not smaller. Mm -hmm. I just kept clicking. It kept telling, by the way, 
that software, I don't want to get into like a whole problem, but like I couldn't place a $50 Becca, but I could place $49.99. Don't even get me started on how annoying that was, but I, I did it out of pure spite. You understand that? Like there are sports books who limit me, like can be books. I'm limited to way less than that, like $8. And I will, first of all, refer everything to Trader out of spite because I want somebody to have to click like, no, don't take this. Uh, just like a, a second out of their day. But I will play on that account more just just to take a little bit of money. Yeah, absolutely. But like is a $50 bet on... So so you, we talked about sh taking sharp action previously. Is taking $50 from Rob Pozzola actually a good move? Like pay two, two bucks an EV to move the price? Probably pretty good. Like wow, that's, that's uh, good you know, if, and we could... If we could, that's the cheapest we can get you to continue to play. Like that's probably pretty good. He's basically like, a trader for bucks, points and, bet now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And isn't and fifty bucks like at least a little while ago points bet used to take at least fifty bucks on every prop and two hundred fifty bucks on every side in total. Which like yeah, that's not not very much. But hey, it was bigger than what uh, some of the candy books and other and, and everyone else did. So like we actually did find some value when we could take it at that low of a level. Like there was actually a bit of value in, in taking those bets. Um, you talked about- uh, I'm the idiot now, by the way. I thought I was doing I you guys a disservice. Dude, you were working for points bet for they, two bucks a click. They paid me 4K and they made like 50K off of it just by moving the- You consulted for them for six months oh, for 4K. Sons of bitches. <laughs> exactly. I used to, uh, one, one funny thing about sending things to trade, I used to put 50 cent bets through to a, a place called Crown Bet in Australia. And they like, like turn my account off and put me in the naughty corner for six hours every time I do it. Just get so annoyed and just send 50 cent, 50 cent, 50 cent. And then I have to reject it over and over again because I was, uh, everything was sent to trader. So yeah, I, uh, I too uh, enjoy the spiteful, um, the sp spiteful uh, uh, wages. All right, Shippers, this has been an incredible episode so far. A lot of value, I think. We wanted to then shift now and talk a little bit about the betting side as opposed to, you know, the sports book side. You're, you're now betting full time presumably doing doing really well and wanted to kind of get your thoughts on something that's really timely NFL biggest market right now. What are you betting on in NFL? How are you getting an edge? What can we give out? That's, uh, you know, providing even more value and fun for everyone listening here. I will preface that I don't focus really at all on the NFL. There are some, there is some markets that I do play in that I kind of want to keep quiet. What I would like to talk about though, is like how to attack it. I think if you are coming from a recreational background or, or, or a background where you um, follow the NFL like intense, intensely uh, and, and ways that you can win. I, I wanted to talk about, um, we, we kind of talked about how sports books are pretty greedy. They're kicking out winners. They are, um, are letting losers wager a whole bunch of money. They have ways that they want you to place wages. Now, same game parlay is obviously the golden goose for everybody, right? Like that's how sports books have begun to fatten up their uh, fatten up their profits. Uh, obviously, don't go in and just like donk away your money in same game parlays. You can win in same game parlays, though, like almost without a doubt, if you truly understand how uh, the correlations work of these of these things. Now, if if you think, for example, that Tyreek Hill uh has uh, or, or is he going to have the same correlation as just a you know a julian edelman for example in terms of the his receptions to receiving yards um and the way that the sgp engine is dealing with that um things like uh and then also understanding some game script stuff um where 
a team with a really strong passing offense. This is probably more NCAA football, but let's take Colorado. Deion Sanders, as we said, number 21, um, for episode 21. They have an extremely strong passing offense and an extremely bad run offense. So when they are in the lead, what do these engines, what do the what does the the um, pricing engines say about their run pass distribution? Now it's going to be like, and and does that reflect reality? Now you can just hone in on these specific teams, and you are a super fan. You know everything about these teams and this sport and 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 the players. Now you can start to think, okay, how does my team differ in the games and and when when game states are in specific states versus what the entirety of the NFL does and is the same game parlay engine or is the pricing engine um, offering a blanket price for everything. This is actually some of the best advice that's ever been given out on this channel before because essentially it's attacking the markets that the sports book wants you to bet into but understanding the limit limitations on the algorithm within that market and looking for essentially a way to exploit that it's similar to an episode we talked about in the past with live betting algorithms before and exactly how a live betting algorithm might work for an nfl game and how it might not take into account certain things uh, but the tendencies i think are extremely important and that's someone that even like a recreational better can easily filter through stats look at game scripts in the past see that a team that potentially is up four touchdowns might not behave the exact same way as another team who's up four touchdowns. Um, you talked about this for years, Derrick Henry and the Tennessee Titans and how they would lead up, lean on the run, Johnny. This is one of the first conversations we ever had in terms of like second half betting when the Titans had a lead and how they were just basically going to feed them the ball 90% of the time in those second halves. So very, very good uh, These are angles you can advice. get, sorry, if you actually watch the games too. And a lot of people do enjoy watching the games. That's where you're going to get like these little tidbits. Deep. Exactly. And this thing is this thing is not only um, something that's going to stop you from getting limited. It's also really fun. Like it's really fun to like know that Derek Henry's uh, average yards per carry is not affected so much by having eight men in the box versus seven men in the box. Like he he is like defense agnostic. Um, so we would we wouldn't expect his yards per carry to come down as much in the second half, even when the other team knows that they're running things like this is like. This, to me, is how the recreational NFL better should be looking to attack um, these markets. It's just so much more interesting, I think, uh, to me than 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 uh, you know trying to trying to get ahead of a line move or or, or bet some top down stuff. It is interesting. It's definitely more work, and I think that's where a lot of it. For sure. You know, and especially when you think about what the recreational better might value nowadays in their handicapping, which is like public betting percentages and short-term trends and stuff like that it's definitely getting out of your comfort zone if this it, if you're watching this or listening to this and you care about public betting percentages or you're using trends in your handicapping i think what we're trying to say here is like get away from that stuff and start to figure out other ways because in the long term that's not going to be successful uh, do you do this for other sports as well uh shipper or or specifically you focus on nfl yeah, like a really good example, um, you can do this in basically everything, trying to understand uh, understand where variances are different across uh, across teams. Like, let's say a, a sportsbook trader uh, example I used to um, ask in an interview was, let's say that both James Harden and Victor Wembanyama for the upcoming season are expected to average 20 points per game. That's their mean. Um, now, what is the 
who is more likely to average at least 18 points per game and who is more likely to average at least 22 points per game. Now, the variance on Wembenyama is much different to James Harden because James Harden's been in the league forever. We are so sure about the the, the or the um, his true probability being 20 points per game is much more likely than Wembenyama, which has a much wider distribution. Um, now, a really good example of this is like um, a few years ago, James Wiseman came into the league and he was in for about 8.5 points uh, on his prop market. He has exactly the same variance by the sports book as every as like PJ Tucker being in for eight and a half points. And like A, there's we're unsure about how many minutes James Wiseman was going to play. B, we're unsure about how often he's going to get the ball. And then C, we're unsure about how good he is. He has a far greater likelihood of scoring 20 in that game. And that that sort of thing was priced at a hundred to one. Um, and so looking, trying just trying to think, uh, I, I suppose like use your intuitive and logical knowledge about how these sports work to try and find the holes in these sports books. Um, that's a much greater idea than, yeah, as you say, looking at public bets, bet percentages, things like that. Do you dabble in the more traditional markets? Like, are you betting um, full game sides and totals across major sports or, or, or have you shifted to like these alternative uh, markets? I do not. I will bet some, I will bet some of these things and in specific situations, I will place these wages. Uh, I won't do it a whole bunch and they don't, certainly don't make up the staple of my wagering. The staple of my wagering mostly comes from uh, from betting international basketball, uh, which I am betting sides and totals, but I but uh, is obviously not, you know, the NBA or the NFL. Fair enough. And 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 to get to that point, it's it's because I and Johnny kind of talks about this all the time. It's I came into this I came into this whole whole thing with the assumption of uh, um, efficient market hypothesis, and it just kind of so happens that each year there is more there are more and more and more things that you you find out that doesn't fit the bill of being efficient or of market efficiency. And so there are more and more things that you can add that you can end up beating. Plus EV minus EV. You listen to the show. Give us your uh, plus EV minus EV of the week. <laughs> this one's this one. I'm not even sure whether it's good or not. I think plus EV is not closing out your bar tab and just walking away by not having to deal with the admin of closing out the bar tab. You're, you're very rarely, you're like almost certain not to get stung there. Just walk away. Don't deal with the interaction that you have to have to do with. They're just going to add the regular tip on. You're going to give the tip anyway. Just don't deal with that. Wait, 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 hold up. So still paying for it, but just so, but then yep. don't they have your credit card? Yep. Yeah. Which is fun. Oh, no, no, no. In, in America, in, in America, they just like hand it back. We, at most, at most. Okay, we have a different, run, we have a different tab thing. So in Canada, you have a different system. In here, Canada, so. if you open a tab, you have to give them your card and maybe an ID, and then they hold it, and then you get yeah. it back at the end of the night. So the, the hassle of then having to go the next day and pick up your card would would obviously be for sure. No, that's a that's a terrible idea for Canadians <laughs> then. Um, but probably in over over eighty percent of places that I've been over here, um, you hand them their card, they run the like they kind of get the card on file, hand it back to you. And then you can kind of just, you can just leave and they'll add a generic tip on top, you know 18% what? or 20% or whatever. Massive plus EV move. I would do that every time. Yeah. Why would you want to then go have to wait and then like write it down? Because, because like, because someone might like, they might accidentally screw it up and add too many drinks to your bill or, or whatever. So you're kind of like running some risk of doing that. Although it's never happened to me in my, 
in my uh, couple of years over here. If you start, hopefully there's no tab, bar, bartenders listening listening to this. <laughs> if you start an open tab, you get what you get. Like so you might have someone put an, an extra drink on there. Yeah, but even, even think about say say you do this like every single time you go to a bar, and one time they accidentally screw up, and put an extra drink on it or whatever. It's still way more valuable, like your time and like w- sifting through everyone at the bar at the end of the night to close out. I would still rather that happen. Okay, good move, good move. Good All move, right, negative. Uh, negative EV, I think, is stressing about spend in your day-to-day life. Like, if it's on, well, it's hard because this is kind of just the plus EV flipped around. You guys always talk about this. But, like, worrying, like, going to, worrying about going to Whole Foods instead of, like, uh, somewhere where, where it's a little bit cheaper for, for the uh, groceries. Like, you, it's um, almost impossible to spend too much money if you just go and get groceries all the time because the like the amount of takeout meals that it takes to like overcome that edge and if you are like really annoyed with like your rotten onion that you have in the uh, in the fridge or something like you just have like slightly higher quality quality vegetables or or whatever like if you just if you spend more money on the uh on the produce and stuff itself you're more likely to cook and then you save yourself money in the long run Okay. Again, though, this is the plus EV flipped on its It's okay. No, no, no. It's the same thing. It's it's a dumb segment. We just continue rolling with it anyways because it's entertaining. I agree with the not stressing over money, although it does seem pretty high society to say that because there are people who are like, (laughs) I need to save the hundred a week on stuff and like, and, you know, get the loyalty points and go and actually like do all that stuff. And that's, I will say this to add to this point. I used to be a guy who was like, oh, let me like get the hacks at the grocery stores. When I, this is when I was significantly younger. I also worked for a company that, you know, pr- preached that in, in the marketing. But I, I would like do loyalty point offer combined with this, go here, make sure I got all these offers. And then like I'd, I'd do it. And then I'd end up saving so much on my groceries. And I'd be like, I got 12 bags of shrimp for like $7 each. Like I'm a stud. And I'd literally like just be so fired up about it. And I realize now, okay, obviously I don't do that anymore. I haven't, haven't used a loyalty card in like four years, five years. But at the same time, those principles that helped me, that the principles and skills I learned in that are so transferable to everyday life. So when you're like, oh, don't stress over that, like going and grinding it out, the principle of that, to combining that with the regular life where it's more important, where now I could do that in business and maybe instead of saving $6, I could save 6,000. Yep. Now it's somewhat significant. Isn't that crazy? I don't think it's crazy. Absolutely. <laughs> I think, I think like, uh, I used to rip, I used to always rip on, uh, oh, sorry. I have ripped on people, um, worrying about taking best price. And you guys are obviously all about taking best price. Um, I certainly used to, when I was, uh, coming up in the industry, you need, you need those like foundational things so that you aren't just some bozo who's just like donking it off on the worst price all the time. Right. You need to choose to take the worst price for, for another reason. You say the worst price because it keeps your accounts alive. Like it's like the, the next evolution you should all like, you should always think about getting the best price on your groceries, on your fuel, on like on a, um, a sports bet at the start. From that point, you can then make a decision to deviate away from that path based on values that you already hold. It's an interesting point you bring up. Um, you know, a lot of times, I think a lot of the criticism we get from you specifically, maybe people you associate with, are you are looking for a podcast or, you know, YouTube video or whatever that is at your 
educational level in the sports betting space, which is extremely high. Like you, you want to tune in and hear stuff like compelling conversation. Our audience is very, very mixed, like extremely mixed. In fact, 75% of our audience now comes through organic YouTube. So people that are just searching for sports betting content on YouTube, guess who's not doing that? Sharp betters, right? So we have like an onus here to try to reach all of that audience. I don't, I'm not going to say dumb it down because that's not what it is. But when we <laughs> preach best price, you're absolutely right. There's going to be instances where you don't necessarily want to get the best price. And that could be for a variety of, of reasons. But for the vast majority of people, that's applicable. And in, like they should be doing that until they reach the level of understanding why they shouldn't be doing that. And hopefully at some point, we do get to a level of audience that everyone's extremely sophisticated and we can just have those conversations, but it's an inherent challenge for us. And I did want to put that out there. Yes, yeah. that's no, what... for sure. I agree. And it's like that. I suppose the problem with that, that I have with it, and that's kind of where this podcast will be hopefully of quite a bit of value is like following that path is like really good at the start. But the problem is they just le- they just follow the Pied Piper off the cliff and the cliff has taken them straight one way ticket to Bandville. Points bet, banned. DraftKings, banned. FanDuel, banned. And so, like, then you don't really know where to scale from there, I suppose. That's kind of like, that's the that's the, that's the the inherent challenge that you guys have to have is, is catering catering to the masses and then also also um, upskilling them from there. Although, I suppose the answer to that is, like, once they get to that level, hopefully you would think that these people have some critical thinking that they can begin to make their journey forward. I, I agree with both those EV moves. I have one of my own that's been on the chest that I got to get off this week. Not sports betting related, okay? I want to hear what you guys think of this one. All right. My EV move of the week, and this is one that I'm extremely passionate about. Charge your goddamn phone. All right? <laughs> there is absolutely zero excuse for your phone to ever be dead or even below 50% ever in history. There's so many outlets. Never have a dead phone. Only bad stuff could happen. My phone has literally never died. I guarantee this. My phone has never once died ever in history. Any of my friends can, I've never had a dead phone. It will never die ever, no matter what. Charge your phone. Be responsible. You're going out at night and your phone, you're leaving the house with the phone at 38% battery. Are you joking me right now? Charge your phone, everybody. Only positive free roll. I can guarantee you that ninety percent of the listenership right now just looked at their phone battery and to probably see what is it's under fifty percent. I'm at seventy three percent right now. I'm very rarely below fifty percent, but you're you're 57. allowed you're allowed to be at whatever percentage. Like you're allowed to be at any percentage as long as you are consciously aware at all times of what percent your phone is at, and you know when and when not you can get to a charger real quick. If you're, for example, I, I haven't charged my phone yet today at all. I'm at around 50% on my phone. However, I'm about to go plug in, dock up right after this podcast and charge my phone back up to 100. So I'm zero risk to ever drop to debt. That's a good move. It's a good move. I want to say after last week, I shared the uh, bathroom hand washing stuff. The amount of people that reached out to me this week and they're like, you know, I never really thought to pay attention. But now that I do, nobody washes their hands properly is actually unreal. It is actually an epidemic in the space. People, the fake soap people are are by far the worst human beings. Like if you're going to take the time to fake soap into your hands and fake scrub, you might as well just do it. I don't understand that. But uh, there's, I'm teasing, I'm not going to give a plus EV or minus EV for this week. 
Uh, but I am teasing next week. We might have some uh, extra footage that will accompany my plus EV or minus EV of the week. I'm happy about that. Very, very triggering. All right, Chip, final question here, and then we'll close off. If you could go back five years, talk to a previous version of yourself, what is a piece of advice you would give the old shipper? Uh, It would probably be to uh, bear more parlays, I think. Uh, Place place more parlay wages. Uh, Try to try to like burn the candle on your edges. If you have some edges, bet them really hard uh, and, and, you know, try to try to extract them. Like if, you, if you're going to win, make, make a pay, I think is probably, probably the answer. All right. Great answer there. This has been an unbelievable episode. Thank you all for listening. Please like subscribe, rate and review five stars. This is episode 121 of the circles off podcast here on the hammer betting network. We'll see y'all next week. Peace. <laughs>